But uh, God is good, is he not? And I trust that again today we've come with hearts that are anxious to hear what God has to say to us. Last week we introduced to you our series called The Metrics of Grace. And we introduced it by saying that Jonathan Edwards, who's best known for his sermon on uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, is not really known for his, his practical teaching, and yet uh, there was a particular article that we came across in which he outlined kind of the five or six marks of what a fruitful church looks like. And we looked at that first mark last week, which was uh, one of the marks of a, uh, a church that's falling more deeply in love with Jesus and is fruitful is that we have a high esteem for Jesus. And that's what worship is all about. We're lifting him high. That's what we were doing this morning, just a sense of celebrating him. Uh, remember, he's the audience of one. Uh, we have come not to please ourselves. We've not come to please anyone else, but we have certainly come to please this one who gave his life for us. And so we always want to have a high esteem for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this morning we want to look at the second mark of a fruitful church and that is a readiness to confess and repent. And I invite you to take your Bibles please and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse and then we're going to look at several other passages in the Psalms and also in the Proverbs uh, as it relates to this important matter of confession and repentance. Uh, we don't hear a lot about this today. Uh, we want to feel good, and we don't like to examine ourselves sometimes, but it's one of the most important things that we can do to keep our relationship with the Lord uh, and with others in a way that is pleasing to Him. So if you'd open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, and we're just going to read one verse. It's verse 16, and we're going to read that verse together. So let's stand in honor of the Word of God. And let's read James chapter 5 and verse 16 all together. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let's repeat that last phrase. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth. Help us, Lord, to understand how much you love us and what you've done to provide a, a great salvation and a great plan for us to grow in our relationship to you. Speak to my heart and to each one of us today. May we be drawn to the foot of the cross and experience that wonderful sense of the presence of the living God. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. We've all heard the adage, confession is good for the soul. But more often than not, it's just an adage. It's not something we take serious. Uh, words today can be very cheap. Actions require uh, some intentionality, and they also require us to face up uh, to issues that are going on in our own lives. I don't think anybody likes to admit that they are wrong. How many of you like to admit you're wrong? Lift up your hand. Oh my, well I see you. <laughs> okay. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. Uh, when we are wrong, we usually try to rationalize our way. Uh, we see this in almost every area of life. We see it in the political realm. 
Uh, we see it in the business realm. We see it in the sports world. Almost whenever uh, something goes wrong and it involves a person and a person has done something that uh, has hurt another person or has been uh, something that is a clear transgression, very few people are willing to admit that they are wrong. And uh, this propensity towards denying the fact that many times uh, we do need to confess and we need to confess to God and sometimes we need to confess to one another, uh, it reminds us that we are human. It's a very humbling experience to acknowledge that we could have done things a little bit better. It's very humbling and it reminds us of the truth in the book of Jeremiah when Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Just stop and think about that. The heart is beyond cure many times because we allow things to happen in our lives and instead of coming to the Lord and confessing it and correcting the wrongdoing, many times we just rational our way through it. And one of the functions of the body of Christ, according to this passage here in James, is that we are to confess our sins to one another. And it's because we value each other as individuals made new by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that we don't allow unresolved conflicts and issues to come between us and others. To the contrary, we actualize the power of God to restore and to heal relationships that may have been broken or have come about because sin has entered into our lives. We not only pray for forgiveness when this occurs, but we also get this matter settled between us and the other person for the glory of God. The late John Stott, who I had the privilege of studying under while I was at Trinity, defines confession as the link between sin and its forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, you all know it probably by heart, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our part is to confess, God's part is to forgive. And if we will do our part, he will do his. Not only does this refer to how he enables us to overcome spiritual problems in our own personal lives, it's also the means whereby we can settle issues between ourselves and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now it's interesting that as you peruse that little book that Stott wrote, he defines uh, three kinds of confession for three kinds of sins. First of all, he talks about secret confession for those sins committed against God. That is, things that we are doing in our own life that no one else knows about. Uh, we, we don't talk about it. There's a dark side of our life, a secret part. Those secret uh, sins, and we need to confess those to God. Secondly, he discusses private confession for sins committed against the, uh, uh, another individual. Say you and 
could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be an employer-employee relationship, but there's something that's come between you and another person, and he encourages us in those cases to go to that individual privately and, and get the situation covered with the blood of Jesus. And then the third type is public confession for sins committed against the entire body of Christ. This is where church discipline comes into play, and we're not going to have time this morning to get into that particular area. Many churches don't practice church discipline anymore. We just kind of, kind of wink our way at sin and uh, think that it's okay. In fact, that's probably one of the problems in many, many churches. I know in many churches that I've been in, we've had to go through a process there's a process any kind of discipline is for the purpose of restoration we want to restore that brother or sister but uh, there are times when they refuse to uh, respond to the counsel of a friend they refuse to respond to the counsel of an individual and uh, maybe a couple other brothers and sisters and then we have to bring it before the church but we won't get into that particular aspect of confession today I want us, first of all, to focus on secret confession for sins committed against God. And you may want to turn over to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, and I want you to look at verse 8, where the psalmist says, You have set our iniquities before you, and here it is, underline it, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We must never forget that with God there are no secrets. What we think we do in secret and no one else knows about what we are doing, God does. He knows there are no secrets with God. You may be able to conceal your secret sin from your mate, from your kids, from others, but you cannot conceal your secret sin from God. God knows everything about us. And When I'm talking about secret sins, I'm talking about uh, those sins in which we delight and think we can engage in without anyone ever discovering our dark side. This is what happens with many men in particular and teenagers, actually young girls today with pornography. You got it all in your hand. Used to be that that was uh, something that you had to go looking for. Today it's right on your, your phone. And you can get hooked on it really easy. In fact, it's, it's, it's incredible that pornographers now are attacking young junior high girls this way. But these are the things that we think no one else is going to know about. You know, I can, I can pull this off and I can get by with it. Uh, and uh, these are impulses that we think we can control. We think we can dabble a little bit in things that we know are not right. And we think we can control it eventually that secret sin begins to control us and everything begins to go awry in our relationships uh, and in our relationship especially with God. Everything we do, everything that we think we do in the presence of the living God, there are absolutely no secrets before him. Now, I want you to look at the opening verses there of Psalm 90 he says Lord you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world and underscore these words from everlasting to everlasting you are God we are speaking about the God of the universe the one who created us the one who recreated us when he sent Jesus into the world 
He is the God who is the eternal God. There, he has no beginning. He has no ending. He knows everything about us. And he knows the things that we do in secret that we think no one else will ever find out. Now as we dig into this subject, we discover there are two alternatives in dealing with secret sin. Number one, we can conceal secret sin, and to do so is spiritually disastrous. To conceal secret sin is spiritually disastrous. Proverbs 28, verse 13, the Bible says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. Now to conceal sin, the Hebrew word there literally means to hide it or to cover it up. It's an act of self-deception whereby we actually convince ourselves that we can pull this off and no one will ever know. This is something that every single one of us struggle with. The enemy knows our weakness. He never attacks us where we're strong. He always attacks us at our most vulnerable place. And when we dabble around in secret sin that we think no one else will know anything about, the enemy can get a stronghold in our lives, and before we know it, we've succumbed to it. And uh, many times when we're dealing with secret sin, we think that we can rationalize it, make excuses for it, justify ourselves. Uh, we try to cover them up with good works. It's interesting how... Oftentimes when we're controlled by secret sins, we want to do all kinds of activity for God. I, I've seen it over and over again. People who want to get really involved in the church. Sometimes it's to cover up something that's going on in their lives that they think no one else knows about. And all those responses to secret sin are negative. They lead to spiritually uh, a disastrous end. And the practice of concealing or uh, covering up sin is a characteristic feature of those who are outside of Christ. You see, those who have never experienced His grace, those who have never tasted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the way they live. That's normal. They're, they're constantly uh, dealing with this kind of thing. But as Christ followers, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and He begins to convict us about these things... Uh, we need to learn how to deal with them. And uh, yet those outside the body, uh, that seems to be almost a way of life. Now, sometimes we will try to cover up those sins by uh, kind of play acting. Uh, we uh, come across to others as though we're very spiritual, when in reality there is a a secret sin that is eating away in our lives. And uh, maybe we even go to prayer meeting and we go to church and we get involved in a small group and we do all kinds of things to kind of cover it up. But it still is there because we haven't dealt with it. And in the process, we settle for spiritual defeat. The psalmist points this out that to conceal secret sin brings inner turmoil. Psalm 32, David's talking, and he, he says in verses 3 and 4, he said, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then he adds that little word, 
Selah. He doesn't want that thought to get by us too quickly. Remember, he tried to conceal his sin with Bathsheba. He tried to cover it up. And then he tried to conceal his sin in having her husband murdered, put in the front line. He says, when I was concealing all this and thinking I was getting by with it, your hand was heavy on me. And there was inner turmoil. Let me tell you, my friend, when secret sin begins a work in our lives, there will be turmoil inside of us. And we may mask it, we may, we may try to put on a happy face, but we know something is wrong. And David wants us to pause and muse over the difficult journey he experienced because he tried to cover his tracks and conceal his sin. It preoccupied him day and night. His strength was gone. We can conceal secret sin from our mate, from our mom and dad, from our kids, from our employer, from our church. We can conceal it. But the hand of God will be heavy on us. We may think for a period of time we pulled off a successful cover-up. Nobody knows about our secret sins, our flirtation with evil, our unchristlike attitudes and actions in our home, our distance between wives and children. We may even be lulled into thinking we have been able to pull it off without any negative sidebar issues. But friends, God cannot be maneuvered. He knows what's going on in our life. And if we don't deal with secret sin, eventually it will become known and it will destroy us and those that we love. In the New Testament, Jesus himself speaks of a time when secret sins are going to be uncovered. We may be able to hide them in this life, but we can't hide them in the next. God will have the final word. Luke chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. He warns of a coming day of judgment in which, quote, nothing is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark shall be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner or the private rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. There is coming a time when the things that we thought no one would ever know about when we stand before the Lord Jesus, those things, if we have not confessed them, they will be proclaimed from the housetops. Now that's the negative part. But on the other hand, to confess it, confessing secret sin is spiritually prosperous. To conceal it, it's disastrous, but to confess it is spiritually prosperous. Notice the last part of Proverbs 28 and verse 13. But whoever, notice, whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And all God's people say, how about hallelujah? Aren't you glad? When we confess our sins, he covers us with his mercy. Oh, my goodness. Ha, <laughs> there you go. 
See, I, I like to get a little interaction every once in a while. Make sure I know you're alive. Okay. When we confess it, we find a whole new dimension of God's mercy. You know, God gives us His grace what we don't deserve, and in His mercy, He withholds from us what we do deserve. I'm so thankful for God's mercy. I, I, I tell you, every time I see that word, it's, it's the Hebrew word, has said, it's, it's just, it just means the loving kindness of God. Now, the Hebrew word to confess in this passage means to leave or abandon. If we want to experience the fullness of God's joy, then we must turn away from our secret sins so that we can experience the fullness of God. We must abandon them. By an act of the will, we surrender those secret sins to God. And when we do, the scripture says we experience new dimensions of his mercy. He withholds his wrath and he offers his forgiveness and pardon. And he does this because of his character. Why don't you go back to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, notice what it says about God. He is faithful and just. It's on the basis of God's faithfulness and his justice that instead of holding our secret sins against us, if we confess them, he will cover them with his forgiveness. Aren't you glad for that? Man, praise Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, David found this to be true firsthand. Back in Psalm 32 and verse 5, he said, When I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. I want you to think about it. That's what that word means. Don't have to be under guilt anymore. You don't have to have to have to be going through all this struggle and this turmoil, afraid that somebody's going to find out. Because you've confessed it. It's all been covered with the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that when he removes our transgressions, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. That's immeasurable. Praise Jesus. This is what he does. When we face up and stop concealing our sin, when we confess it, he's faithful and just And he goes on to purify us from all unrighteousness. And David uncovered his sin by admitting it. God covered his sin with his forgiveness. And God's desire for every single one of us is that our sins be blotted out. And God forgives. He doesn't bring it up again. And therefore, though it is spiritually disastrous to cover our sin with human excuses, denials, and rationalizations, it is spiritually prosperous to confess our secret sins, to uncover them, and then confess them and be flooded with the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and to find new freedom in Jesus. God does not want us to be tied up in knots all of our lives because we are living a secret life that we think no one else knows about. These are things that we only should confess to God. No one else needs to know about it. 
We confess that to God and he promises to forget. Secret confession is between you and God. Don't bring anyone else into it. It's none of their business. You deal with it one-on-one, you and God. And then number two, private confession for sins committed against others. James says in James chapter 5, now we're back to James, verse 16. There's two strong commands in that verse, by the way. They're very strong. The first one is, continue on confessing your sins to one another. And the second one is, continue on praying for each other that you may be healed. Now, there's some key words in this passage that we need to understand uh, so that we know just exactly what James is speaking about when he says to confess our sins to one another. First of all, that word confess is a present imperative, and it means this is something we need to do right away. The minute we know there's something between us and another person, we need to get it right. Continue on confessing forth, confessing out. It implies a full, frank, uh, and open confession. And when we confess, we just admit we're wrong. Hard to do, but that's what confession is. And in using this particular word, James is saying, just come out with it. Stop trying to cover it up. Stop rationalizing. Don't wait for the other person to make a move toward you. If you know you've offended someone else and you you need to get it right, uh, confess it. The word sins is also a very interesting word that we need to understand. Here, you could translate a better faults and refers not so much to gross misdeeds, but rather to willful acts or attitudes that create problems or discord between brothers and sisters. Could be between a husband and a wife, parent and child, an employer or an employee. But it is a relational disconnect that causes disharmony in the relationship. And it happens all too often in the body of Christ. In fact, there are many that are just so tired of dealing with it, they're just done with church today. They haven't learned how to confess and get things right between themselves and another believer. In classical Greek, the noun sins is often used intentionally of falling or throwing oneself on an enemy indicating this is reckless and willful action. The word sins here implies a calculated and conscious wrongdoing on our part toward another person. We know what we're doing. We want to win. We want things our way, and we want to force the issue until the other person believes. That's the sense that he's talking about here. Now, What's the point of the passage? James is very logical. Instead of holding our ground and justifying ourselves about the way we feel about the other person, James' counsel is continue on confessing your sins to one another. And goes right along with what he says. Notice in James chapter 5 and verse 9 when he says, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble about the other person. You know, when you have a, a disconnect with another person, One or two things can happen. You can go to that person and get it taken care of, or you can start building a case. 
and you can involve others. They have no issue with that other person other than you, and you can color their attitude toward that other person because you involve them in something they should never be involved in. The issue is not between you and that person and others. It's between you and that individual where there's some type of a relational disconnect. We have to learn as the body of Christ. Listen to me very carefully. We have to learn how to speak to each other, not about each other. If I could just get one thought across that would bring healing in so many instances is when there is discord between brothers and sisters if we would just talk to the person instead of about that person and triangulate and get others involved and when you get others involved there's always two sides my side and the right side and we build our cases we've got to stop case building in the body of Christ that that goes nowhere that leads to pain that you don't want to have to experience and so it's so important that if the Holy Spirit nudges us and says hey you know you haven't maybe handled things right in your relationship with that person you need to go to that person and get it cleared up don't rationalize it away don't do an end run now when he issues this command James does not mean that we're to go around spilling out every evil thought or unworthy intention that has crossed our minds He's not encouraging us to have some kind of a mass group confession. Oh, no, no, no. He's talking about doing something one-on-one. We all know if there's an individual that we have an issue with. Holy Spirit, see, he keeps working on us. (laughs) And he says, you know, you need to get this right. But so many times we are convinced that we are right And we want to convince the other person of our rightness and instead of the issue being resolved then we begin to attack one another. And that again is wrong. So many times we start attacking each other and the issue that has come between us is never addressed. And so he is saying I want you to do everything you can if if you know there is this something and and the Holy Spirit is, is talking to you about this uh, get it get it fixed between you and that person get to the individual don't let things fester I um, <laughs> I, I don't know about you but when, I, when I'm out of relationship with somebody else I, I can't eat sleep until I get it fixed I, I can't even worship I mean, if there's, uh, say Sandy and I have an issue. Uh, uh, let me tell you, I, I can't do anything until Sandy and I get reconciled. If there's an issue going on with a leader in the church and I've, I've, we've had some issues, I've got to get that thing fixed. Don't let things fester. The longer you put this off, the enemy can keep on using that as a stronghold to distract you from falling more deeply in love with Jesus. It's hard to apologize. 
it's hard to admit to another person that maybe we've misjudged them or wronged them. I think of Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist. On one occasion, he was preaching in a great arena. He was pouring out his heart before God, and in the middle of his message, there was a young man that stood up and attacked Moody verbally. Said some pretty harsh things to the evangelist. And Moody reacted. He, he, he reacted right to what that guy said. But as the, he drew his message to a close, Dwight L. Moody said, ladies and gentlemen, I need to confess. I overstated things to my brother here. And I've asked God to forgive me and I'm going to go down right now and I'm going to ask my brother to forgive me. And before they knew it, Moody had stepped off the pulpit. He'd gone down into the where this brother was seated and he'd ask for his forgiveness. When people saw that, they said that was the greatest thing they had ever seen D.L. Moody do. To just right the wrong right away. If we could just learn that secret, our lives would take on a whole new dimension. Now notice in this passage, when it comes to confessing our sins, the prayer factor is absolutely essential. Notice he says, continue on confessing your sins, strong command, and then continue on praying for each other, another very strong command. When conflicts come between individuals, the best thing we can do is start praying for that person with whom we are at odds. You cannot pray long for a fellow believer with whom you have an issue, you can't pray long without going to that person and getting it fixed. The Holy Spirit will begin a work in your life, and let me tell you, what we don't understand is that the Holy Spirit is also preparing that person with whom we have an issue. He's preparing their heart to receive our confession. Do you understand this? This is the beauty of how it works when we actually do things God's way. When we do our part, God prepares the heart of the person that we're going to so that we can put this under the blood of Christ and never be reminded about it again. Notice he says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let me tell you, I've been a pastor for over 50 years. I've had, to, I've had to admit I'm wrong. I've had to admit to congregations I'm wrong. I've had to say I'm sorry. I overreacted. When that takes place, nobody says, Oh, what's the matter with you, Strubar? Don't you know any better? They're overwhelmed by the fact that a pastor has said he's sorry. 
we had a situation in one of our churches where after the message, and I was greeting people as they were leaving, a gentleman came up to me and he objected to something I had said. I mean, he really objected. And he did it to make sure that he was in earshot of everybody else so everyone else could hear what he was saying about what he didn't like about my message. And, you know, the old flesh got in the way and I didn't respond the very best. But, you know, on my way home from church that morning, the Holy Spirit began his work in me. I said, John, that wasn't... You didn't, you didn't do things right here this morning. And as I was driving home, I just asked the Lord to forgive me for what I had said. And then Monday morning, I called the gentleman and said, hey, let's get together for coffee. We got together for coffee. We sat down together. Before anything else took place, I said, brother, uh, I am so sorry that I said what I did to you. I said, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Oh, he said, Pastor, he said, you know, he said, I never should have said that to you in the first place. And I mean, it was all covered. It was just, and we became the best of friends. You know, some of the folks that I've had conflict with over the year have become my best buds because we've been able to work through issues without attacking each other. And when I've been wrong, I've admitted it. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But it is the way to blessing and healing in the family of God. It's interesting that the Jews have a saying which says, he who prays surrounds his house with a wall that is stronger than iron. They also have a saying which says, penitence can do something, but prayer can do everything. My friends, prayer is the key. Prayer is the key. In closing, let me just say three simple things. But before I do it, can you just stop and think? Imagine what God could do at East Bay Calvary if each one of us confessed our secret sins to God and got that all covered with the blood of Christ. And can you imagine the revival that would break forth when instead of justifying why we have an issue with another person, we would just go to that person and get it resolved. Can you imagine the blessing that God wants to pour out on this place. Let me tell you, you folks are very, very special. I don't know why everything has turned out the way it has, but I know that revival begins with confession and repentance. And when we deal with things that we think no one else knows about, and we get that covered with the blood, and there is relational harmony in the body, we won't be able to contain the people that will flock to this church.
when they know that Jesus is Master and Lord. When Jesus is King and we surrender to Him, He does incredible things for us. So let's be proactive. The Holy Spirit is nudging you to deal with some secret sin, known only to you and God, deal with it. Don't conceal it. Confess it. Be proactive. Number two, be purposeful in your relationships with others. If there's another Christ follower that you're having difficulty with, Instead of you waiting on them to make a first move toward you, you make a move toward them. You see, this is what happens in the body of Christ. We wait for somebody else to make the move. They don't make the move. We don't make the move, and we have a stalemate. And when the Holy Spirit nudges you to do it, I've said this many times. If I had my ministry to do over again, I would spend, I I would be much more sensitive to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit nudges you to go to that person, do it. Get it solved. Don't you need to carry a bag of bones around? Let me tell you, it's freeing. It's wonderful. So be proactive, be purposeful, and lastly, and most importantly of all, let's be prayerful. I am telling you, Tennyson was right on when he said, more things are wrought through prayer than this world dreams of. Let's stand together, please, for closing prayer. Want us all to bow our heads. Want you just to ask the Lord to search you this morning. That's a hard message. And yet I have to be under the authority of this book. If there, there are secret sins that are going on, just take a moment. Confess it to God. Confess those things. Don't need to tell anybody else about it, but just confess those to God. Say, Lord, cover these secret things that I've been doing with your blood and help me not to keep on repeating them. And then if there's those in the body that you know you've had issues with and you've kind of glossed over it and you think it'll just go away with time, time doesn't heal all wounds. Sometimes you have to take steps toward a person. Maybe you think you're okay, but you know another person has an issue toward you. Just practice private confession to each other. And uh, we're going to watch God work powerful ways. So whatever you need to do this morning, just do it. Not because I'm asking you to do it, but because the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do that. Spend a few quiet moments in prayer. And then I'll close in prayer. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love the church that you purchased with your own blood. 
And Lord, all of us are sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. You're not done with any of us yet. Sometimes we can walk with you for many, many years and build up a callous to your still small voice. But Lord, if there's some secret sin, and knowing only between you and us, Lord, help us right now to surrender that, to no longer conceal it, to confess it, and to believe you to stop all the inner turmoil that has been creating havoc in our lives. And then, Holy Spirit, if there's another member of the body of Christ for whom you love and for whom you died, and for one reason or another, we don't know exactly why, but there's, there's a feeling of distance. We don't look at each other in the eye. We don't greet each other. We pull away from each other. And there may be people that have even left this church that we need to go to and just say, I'm sorry. Whatever it is, Lord, help us as your people to be fully surrendered to you, to your lordship, to your leadership. Help us to fall more deeply in love with you. And may we leave here knowing that we have met the Master. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Lo, he comes. The king is coming. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.